might have to wax a little bit. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 167. My name is Jess Dunks and with me as always is uh, my wonderful co-host Brian Prillman. This is really weird. Hello! If you've listened to our uh, most recent episodes, you know that CJ Schrader is no longer with us as a host. Um, This is our first episode without him. Uh, We're going to forge ahead and have fun with this episode, but we do want to give him a shout out and say, hi, CJ. We hope you're listening. We hope you're having a good time. Yes. Um, And we've now decided to rebrand this episode FlavorCast. We're going to be talking about all things flavor related now. Right. Mostly just the story prior to the Gatewatch. Yeah. Actually, um, we're going to talk about that one part where like Urza's head was on a plate because a lot of people don't really understand how he was still alive. No, that's we're not we're not really doing that. Um, Good, because I don't understand it either. I don't know anything about it. Explain it. That's news. Uh, Also joining us today, uh, we have uh, my good friend and judge colleague, Matt Williams, better known as Billy Willie, joining us. Um, Say hi, dude. Hi, dude. Uh, Billy Willie, you've been on the show before, but uh, some people may not have listened to those episodes or might be new listeners. Um, So Billy Willie is a level three judge from Florida. Uh, he is good people, and if you plan to work at Grand Prix someday, you will almost certainly run into him, because he goes to a lot of them. Bill, Billy Willie's been to so many GPs, uh, they've got a Planeswalker banner of him that they put up at uh, <laughs> the events. Yeah, that's the one he broke at the last one. But whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we're not taking – this particular episode, we're not taking advantage of Billy Willie's vast uh, logistical experience at large, multi-thousand-person events. Instead, we're going to be talking about something equally exciting. The itty-bitty cards. <laughs> the itty-bitty little cards. Wait, wait, wait. The game of magic? Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be talking about the rules of something. Is that I don't know. Sorry if you hear the squeaking. Um I I have a new puppy. It's pupper day. It, puppy it is squeaking? I have I have a puppy and she has a a pink fluffy duck and she is abusing it and so it might be squeaking occasionally in the background. Well, perhaps you should disabuse her of the duck during the podcast. Look, man, it's either it's either the duck or like my shoe or my toe or. All right. I think we have reached the point where even CJ would have been like, I think it's time to get on top. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much what he does. <laughs> yes. Um, so today we're talking about not just specifically the magic cards, but uh, the parts of those cards. What makes up a magic card? And I'm not talking about the cardboard and the blue core paper that we all know about and, and, and love to pretend we're going to tear cards apart to see if they're real. Uh, but there's the, the, the actual the parts of a magic card, starting with the name and working our way down. Um, there's a lot of fun so, parts to these cards. There are. There are a lot of fun parts. Um, and you just take all the parts and throw them together and you have a magic card, kind of like hot dogs, right? Yeah. So what are the, so what are the parts of the card? Uh, the parts of a card. Parts of a card are the name, the mana cost, the illustration, the color indicator, the type line, the expansion symbol, the text box, the power and toughness box, the loyalty box, the hand modifier, which is in a box, and the life modifier, which is also in a box. And we're going to get to those later. If you're wondering, what the heck are those? We'll talk about it. Uh, the illustration credit, the legal text, and the collector number. And it, you, what I find interesting about this is that uh, at no point is the little holographic symbol to for, on the rares listed as part of a card. And I kind of feel like it should be. Yeah. So so yeah. So it is kind of weird that they put the little the the that they've got the little hologram thing, and they don't they don't specify. But yeah. So starting uh, what's what set did they start with? Uh, Origins was it, or was it before then? That they started putting the little hologram symbol on uh, the rares and mythics. Origin sounds right. So, uh, yeah, I think. Where, it was so the, the, where's the judge cast historian? Uh, yes. So <laughs> one of the cool things. So we we made this list of things, and one of the the first thing to point out is um, that not every card is going to have all of these parts. 
you've got textless cards that don't have text boxes. You've got, um, you know, some cards that don't have mana costs or cards that don't have power toughness. Uh, old cards don't have expansion symbols. So, so not all cards have all parts. And then some objects, you know, like tokens, uh, will have some parts of the card, but, uh, not all of them. So, so you can have, uh, cards, cards and objects and stuff like that have varying combinations of these parts. And we're gonna go over, we're gonna go over them in detail, uh, for you right now. Isn't that special? <laughs> yeah. You, you've spent too much time with that puppy. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the first part of the card is, is, is the name. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the name is it's printed on the top of the card, and no matter what language it is printed in, the the card is considered to have the English version of its name on it. Um, and that's so, what you would use for Oracle text and stuff like that. Exactly. So yeah, like like if if anything needs to be clarified or any if there's any confusion, you're always talking about the English version of the name. Does that mean that you can't? In conversation, refer to something with the local language. You know, of course you can, but but to disambiguate, if it's ever necessary, we refer to things with the English name. Yeah, there's there's certain cards that have very similar similar names in foreign languages that uh, uh, aren't the same in English or are very different in English. Yeah, uh, we had an incident at a GP where uh, the difference between the Spanish version of Terramorphic Expands and the Spanish version of Evolving Wild was rather important to, to look up. So, yeah, it's also important, I think, because we, a lot of Magic players use shorthand when you're talking about cards. And so part of a name might be colloquially okay, but when you're doing a deck list, you need the full English name. So, Something like Bolt. Yeah. So so for clarification, so in Terramorphic Expanse in the Spanish version is... Uh, expans- I'm going to butcher this language pronunciation, but it's it. Expansion terra- Terramorphica is Terramorphic Expanse. And then Evolving Wilds is Terranos Expansivos. So they both, they both seem like, at least to a, an English speaker, they seem very, very similar. That first one sounds like some kind of like extra planar encyclopedia. <laughs> like I expect somebody to knock on my door. And be like, excuse me, uh, would you like to buy a copy of the Expansion Terramorphica? For our younger listeners, uh, people used to go door-to-door selling encyclopedias. <laughs> well, maybe that's what Schrader's doing now. Maybe. Uh, or going door-to-door selling vacuum cleaners. That was another thing. All right. Um, so, so two objects... Uh, that have the same, uh, that have the same, um, have the same name, uh, if their names are identical. Now that seems kind of silly here that I just said that, but what I mean by that is like Nickel Bolas, okay, and Nickel Bolas Planeswalker, and, uh, just a hypothetical Nickel Bolas Scourge of Amonkhet or whatever the Planeswalker is going to be in the next set. Um, those are, those have different names, so those are, are different. Uh, those aren't the same card, okay? That should that should seem obvious, but they have to make that distinction from a rule standpoint because that's how uh, the rules have to work. Yeah, and some objects can even have uh, multiple names. I think there's one in Conspiracy 2. And then uh, if an effect wants you to name a card, you have to name a card that's legal for the format. And that kind of uh, solves some issues of a player accidentally while playing standard naming a card that's only available in say legacy or modern. Right. For example, uh, if I say the name Urborg, everybody has a, a thought coming to their mind of what card I'm talking about. Uh, but that card is actually named Urborg tomb of Yawgmoth. Um, and, <laughs> and, and there is a, you don't want to remove swamp walk from a creature or first strike or something. And there is actually another land. It's also a legendary land. There's another thing uh, called Urborg as its whole name. So if you in Legacy, you got to be careful. But that limitation is there so that if we're playing, say, modern, we don't have to worry about that ever. If somebody wants to name Urborg for an effect, it's clear what they're referring to, and if we need to clarify it, we will. Yeah. 
And so if you've got an effect that tells you to, to name a card, uh, you can't choose the name of a token uh, unless it's also the name of a card. And that doesn't come up very, very often. Um, I think there's, like, Assembly Worker. Is that... I think there's a card called Assembly Worker, and then there's a card that makes... Uh, there's a card called Splinter, and then there are Splinter Tokens. Is about the only time that that actually comes up, but... Yeah, I mean, there's... I think there's a... Something that makes illusion tokens, and I think there's, a, like, a sorcery or an instant named illusion or something. Like, it, it, there, there are a few. Um, but it, it doesn't come up very often. All right. Um, so... So, so if a card if a card is uh, has text that refers to itself by name, uh, then it's only talking about itself. It's not talking about other copies uh, of that card that you might have out there on the battlefield. Um, so right. Uh, so so a, a uh, uh, can you think of any examples of cards that refer to themselves? I'm, by trying, name? I'm trying to think. There was a uh, there was a card that said. Uh, Oh, man, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on it. It was like it was like, like a a card that gave itself that referred to it by name and gave itself plus two plus two. Um, or this is, it's any of those triggers where it says you know when this attacks do something like the the name is replaces the word that this just because it makes right. more sense in the English language. Exactly, and and at the the. Uh... The card that I consider the poster child for this is Figure of Destiny because it refers to itself three times. Um, and it says, you know, Figure of Destiny becomes this. And then it later on has abilities that say, if Figure yeah. of Destiny is this creature type, well, if it somehow stops being Figure of Destiny before that resolves and it becomes a copy of something else, for example, it's still checking whether or not it's a spirit. It's not checking whether or not it's Figure of Destiny. So here, here was the here was the card that I was I was I was struggling with, uh, which I shouldn't have because Sylvan Advocate. Okay, so as long as you control six or more lands, Sylvan Advocate and land creatures you control get plus two plus two. Now, if you happen to have two Sylvan Advocates out, um, they don't give each other the plus two plus two. Okay, yeah, they so should be better friends. They should be. I mean, they're advocates of each other, right? So, so somebody need to teach Sylvan Advocate about sharing. Right, sharing. Well, I mean, they share with the lands. Um, so a, another another thing is so yeah, when a card when a card refers to uh, has its name in it, it means me. This um, another another example of this would be a card called Thespian Stage. Um, Thespian Stage has an ability that says. Two and tap, Thespian Stage becomes a copy of target land and gains this ability. Well, if I was to copy a forest, okay, Thespian Stage is going to become a forest and has the ability, Thespian Stage becomes a copy of, of target land and gains this ability. But the card name is actually, at that particular point in time, Forest. So mm -hmm. that's an example of the card name is just really saying this, me, um, so what's the second part of a card? Well, we have – I think there's one more note that we had under – under. Oh, yeah. Of, I'm sorry. There is so, uh, there's um, one other thing we wanted to talk about. So if uh, a card refers to an object, it's like destroy that creature at end of combat, uh, that effect will still apply even if the object is no longer the, the a creature or whatever that criteria was. Yeah, this kind of falls into the same category as the name thing we were just talking about, is that if something is, uh, refers to itself or, or is being referred to specifically and it's not a target, like target creature or something, um, it, it's even if that thing isn't that quality anymore, it's still referring to itself. I, I think the most common uh, situation I see this occur in is with one of the uh, animated creature lands where it refers to that creature and then – the effect has a duration that is lo longer than the animation effect is, and so it refers to the creature for that card, even though it's no longer a creature. So something that might say, like, destroy, you know, you cast a spell that says destroy that creature at the beginning of your next turn, but at the beginning of your next turn, it's not a creature anymore, it's a land. Yeah. Right. Or if you have if you have something like uh, like the that enchantment uh, from Kaladesh, 
or from uh, from Aether Revolt that makes your your vehicle animates your vehicles, and then you play something that like destroyed this creature at the end of turn, and then that enchantment goes away. Well, that vehicle's yeah. still gonna get it's still gonna be destroyed. I, I, again, my, the biggest culprits I've seen have been the that this doesn't untap. Oh, like that, that creature, creature doesn't. That, that creature, creature doesn't, doesn't untap. untap. That that yeah, normally that's... is because that would be at next turn when in the animation effect is ended. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what's probably like one of the the ne- when you're looking at the card then? So you got the name, and right next to that is the mana cost. Uh, so it said the mana cost is in the top right corner, except for future sight cards. When except it, for yeah, f- specifically the future shifted. Future side cards. Yeah. Oh, Tarmogoyf. Those are really cool. I kind of wish that they would do that. Uh, People didn't like it, you know? Really? Um, I mean, I like it, but uh, I liked it sort of. So so here's the thing. I get used to the way I hold my cards. And with the future site borders, you have to hold the cards differently in order to make, to make all, everything visible all at once. And the problem with that is if I'm playing with both frames at the same time. Yeah. But I, I liked the fact so so Future Side had the mana cost running down the left the left corner so where the name was going from the starting from the left corner corner and going across the top the the Future Side mana cost was starting at the left corner and running down so if you fanned the cards out you could see a little bit of the name and a little bit of the mana cost all all from one I, corner. I just want to understand why either of you aren't flicking your cards faster. I hate that. Oh, I flick my cards all the time. <laughs> Wood cards like you Whoa. wouldn't believe. Too much information. This is this is a family podcast. No, it's not. all right. So back to this mana cost thing, gentlemen. Uh, it actually it represents uh, what ne- needs to be spent in order to cast the card. Things yep. like Phyrexian mana also are important here. You have a different symbol for that. Uh, you also have hybrid symbols that could exist. And some cards just don't have a mana cost. So uh, those are like the, the pack cycle is a good example there. Yeah, so uh, cards that don't have a mana cost would be would be their converted mana cost is zero uh, unless they're the back face of a double face card and then their converted mana cost is whatever's on the front side. But the the mana cost of like if it doesn't have a mana cost, then it can't be paid. If it's somehow on the battlefield, it doesn't give devotion. So like. Uh, it just is nothing, just non-existent mana cost. So, right, so you can't you can't cast it by paying zero. You're specifically prohibited. Now, if you have an, a spell or effect that lets you do an alternate cost, then sure, that's fair game. But uh, no mana cost, can't pay it. Um, so uh, now this is something weird. When we were when we were listing the 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 parts of a card, we actually didn't list color as being a part of a card. Uh, the color, an object's color, is actually determined by the mana symbols in its mana cost. Um, so, so color is actually kind of derived from the rest of the card. Um, so the colors are, you know, white, blue, black, red, green. Uh, colorless is not a color. Mm-hmm. Um, a card with uh, with uh, no no cost or uh, no colored symbols in its cost is colorless. Uh, unless it has a color indicator. Unless it has a color indicator. Um, a, co- a card with uh, multiple colors in its cost uh, are those colors. So if it's, you know, if it's one green-white, it is a green-white card. Uh, hybrid mana uh, counts as all of those colors. So if it's a green-white symbol, it's green and white. Um, now let's, what's, uh, what's up with the color indicator? Well, the color indicator is a thing that you might find on the type line of some cards that don't have uh, a converted mana cost. So, for example, the pack cycle that we mentioned earlier, or so don't have a mana cost. I said converted. I did not mean converted. They don't have a mana cost in the top right. So the pack cycle you mentioned earlier is a great example where it has a the newer printings have a little dot right next to the type that tells you – what color it is, and you tell by looking at it and seeing what color it is. Um, so there used to be a lot of cards that had uh, a characteristic defining ability that was a line that would tell you what color it was. Almost all of those have been errated to instead having a color indicator. So if Transkilled Courier were reprinted today, which is all colors, 
it would have a little dot in the right next to the creature line that would have this weird pie thing with all five colors in it. Um, and similarly, you can look at the newer printing of Dryad Arbor has this little green dot in the type line that tells you it's green. And all double-faced cards have this as well. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm upset about what the because we were just talking about this at the conference this weekend, weren't we? Uh, Evermind and that trick you used we, to be able to do. Yeah, we were we were talking about color uh, because of a layers presentation that was done. So so a a trick that we used to like an old judge question that we used to ask was there was a card called Silver Knight. It's a two two protection from red, and we would ask if you could. Uh, you could, you used to be able to glacial ray it if you spliced an Evermind onto it. Now, glacial ray is a, is a red spell that deals damage. Um, it's arcane. Um, Silver Knight has protection from red. What's going on there? Well, the whole splice rules would let, would add, if you spliced a card onto it, uh, it would gain the text of that spliced card. And Evermind used to say, uh, Evermind is blue. Um, now this is relevant. It would gain, so Glacial Ray would gain the text, Evermind is blue. But since we had the name discussion about, well, the name really just refers to this, then Glacial Ray would actually become blue. <laughs> Glacial Ray's full text was like, deal damage, I'm blue. <laughs> right. And so you used to be, before it became a color into just a plain old boring color indicator, uh, you used to be able to, to do shenanigans like that. And it was a fun question. That is no longer relevant in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, man. It's, it's a, a B-Pro classic. It is a good piece of, 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 of true. Hey, we talked about Splice on Arcane, changing, uh, adding to the text box, the name being relevant. We cover Yeah, but you know, so here's the thing. Uh, pretty soon, we're going to have high-level judges. We're going to have level three magic judges who have never played magic in a world where we didn't have color indicators. Yeah. Yeah. So let it go, let, man. <laughs> let's let's just let's just get away from color for the this color talk. Let's talk about converted mana cards. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that when we get to Whipperwill. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the converted mana cost is the sum of all of the colored uncolored mana requirements. So for example, if you had a spell that was one white green, its converted mana cost is three. And uh, Jess, I think you already said that a the CMC of an object. With no mana cost, uh, like the the packs is zero, and those silly double faced melded permanents go on their own world. Yeah. Right. So, so that <laughs> that rule is um, if I've got a the back face of a double uh, of a double face card, its converted mana cost is the converted mana cost of the front face, unless it's a copy of another double face. Um, and a melded a melded permanent. Uh, its converted mana cost is the sum total of the f- both front faces. Oh, hey, that's the next line. Look at that. Look at you go. Look at look you at, go. Look at me. And then I know uh, everyone's kind of been a fan of the walking ballista. Uh, things where that have an X in the mana cost are zero. Yeah. Yeah. E- everywhere, unless, uh, unless they're on the stack, they're, yep. they're zero. Uh, so. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a thing that I like to remind people of, but most people kind of they, they, like I get the question a lot, even though I feel like players intuitively understand that people ask, oh, what's the converted mana cost of this on the battlefield uh, with this X? You know, and the X is always zero. Yeah, I feel like that that's a lesson that got reinforced back when like Ratchet Bomb was a much more played card. Yeah, well, uh, with Ratchet Bomb was weird because they changed rules on whether or not uh, or there was some weird stuff. I don't know if they changed rules, but there was some weird stuff going on there with whether or not tokens had converted mana costs. Uh, yeah, that was a uh, way there was a machine. <laughs> yeah, because, because there was a card that made copies that were also tokens, and whether or not those had the mana cost of of the thing they were copying, or whether it was zero. And Ratchet Bomb cared a lot, and uh, yeah. people always blew up their Ratchet Bomb at the wrong time and just. The you know. answer, the answer to that though is, if the token is a copy of a card and that card had a uh, a mana cost, then the token also has uh, the the same symbols in the corner. Yep. 
uh, a token that's just made like random rando goblin token uh, does doesn't have it as a CMC. Random Ragavan. Ragavan. Random Ragavan. I yes. still don't understand Ragavan, but let's don't even get me started about Ragavan. <laughs> well, so we've talked about uh, the name. <laughs> we've talked about uh, the mana cost and color. And let's talk about the pretty pretty pictures, the illustrations. Yes. The illustrations yes, are the on a podcast. This is great. <laughs> it's great radio. Audio. These have pictures made for radio. Um, so I, I love this rule. Uh, what the rule that says that the illustration has no effect on the game? Yes. <laughs> Beeprel, tell me why that rule is relevant. Okay, so this 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 rule is relevant. So I was actually teaching people how to play back in like ninety four, ninety five, and a lot of people didn't read. They came they came with a little rule book, and that rule book was uh, pretty awkward. And a lot of rules that people came up with were just kind of homegrown things. And there were cards out there like Whippoorwill. It's a card from the dark. It is a green mana for a, I, I guess, creature bird. Whatever. It says summon Whippoorwill on the actual card itself. It's a 1-1. One, one. It's, it's got an ability that's, that's weird. Um, uh, it is, it is uh, a creature bird, yes. It is. It's Oracle Dex, just a but creature bird. But here's the thing. The, the picture on the card shows a, a chubby little whippoorwill, adorable bird, flying through uh, like a, a crate. It kind of looks like a robin. Oh, it's, ador- it's adorable, but it's yeah. in flight. It's clearly okay. in flight. And so people would would say like, oh, well, clearly it flies because if it didn't fly, then then why would they show it flying? And so they they had to add a rule to clarify just because the art shows it flying doesn't mean that it actually flies. And I, I, I just this is this is my second favorite rule behind uh you may use uh, the event locator to find tournaments. Uh you know, because they actually have to say this this the art no, it doesn't matter. So with that logic the original forcible art is a creature. Uh, well, not not really, because people could could figure that kind of stuff out. But there was tons of people back in the day that would like look at a creature and then just make up abilities based on what was in the picture. <laughs> like frozen shade, like frozen shade, frozen shades flying. Come on now, if you look I, at the old, it's like hovering in midair. I, I can't even with you. Hypnotic. This is too much. This is too much. Uh, he's not wrong though. People used to do that all the time. Even, even, I, I, I uh, obviously this was a rule at some point, probably before I started playing Magic. But uh, when I first started playing Magic, our playgroups did that. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, this." I mean, that guy has a giant like spear. Clearly, it has first strike. This this feels like we're playing with some like unrules. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this is this is. This is wonderful. So there is a card. I want you to look up the the original artwork uh, from Legends. A card called the Wretched. Okay. W r e t c h e. W r t e c h e. Yes, I actually was playing in a game where a person was arguing that the Wretched has flying because it has big giant wings, and someone countered with, "Yeah, but it's got holes in the wing." <laughs> and they said, "Good point." And it continued on without flying for the rest of the game. Okay. I, I love you both, but we have went on way too much about art <laughs> for this medium. I think we should go on to the type line. All right. Nothing else about the about the art other than the fact that I love that Whippoorwill does not have flying. Uh, so I guess – actually, I will say uh, one thing about art is I know that altering is a, a thing that occurs often – and so that's like one time where I think the art is actually relevant. You, know, you can't have something that's completely different be uh, in where the illustration would normally be because people do have iconic understandings of the cards based on you know right. art that just is standard. Like and, you, it's a shortcut. And and <laughs> in, of reading everything, you don't necessarily you don't have to. If someone's playing in foreign cards. You might not be able to recognize the name, but you can look over, and if you're familiar with the format, you can recognize that card. So the art is definitely uh, uh, 
while it has no game of meaning, uh, it does have meaning in play. Yeah. All right. So that's well, a good the, point, Billy Willie. The, uh, the next part of a card is the type line. So uh, the type line contains, well, the type. If it's a creature, this is where it's going to say that. If it's a land, this is where it's going to say that. If it's any type at all, this is where it's going to say that. Um, so basically what that's – what's that? What if it has a super type? Will it be there too? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, it will. What if uh, it's older cards uh, have things in a little bit of a weird order. Uh, they might say something like uh, you know, elf legend or something like that. Uh, or they might have the word summon there. Summon is not a type. Usually those are now creatures. Um, so, so there, there are, there are, there are a bunch of different types. Um, especially when you get into subtypes, there are a ton of different types. But when it comes to actual game types, uh, there, there are nine? No, I think, I think it's nine. Uh, yeah, it's nine. Nine that we care about for the purposes of, of tournament games. Um, we don't care about ongoing. I I do not care about schemes <laughs> uh, at all. Uh, even though that's one of the few casual formats I really really like. I, I we're not going to talk about archetypes. Um. So, super types, types, and subtypes all go on this line. If an effect sets a type, it will replace the types that are here. Uh, please don't take a sharpie and cross it out. Write the new type in. You don't need to do that. Uh, it's just replaced. <laughs> Um. So, and if it yeah, changes, if you, go ahead. Sorry, if it, if it changes type, so if you have if you have a creature uh, that has been dealt damage or has damage marked on it uh, and has counters on it and stuff like that, and somehow it stops being a creature, well, that damage stays marked on it. Those counters stay on it. Any continuous effects still exist. They just might be meaningless now because it might no longer be a creature uh, or the continuous effect might change its power and toughness and it doesn't have a power and toughness anymore. Um, uh, removing a type also removes any corresponding subtype. So if you have a, if you have a creature elf and it becomes an enchantment, it is not an elf anymore. Um, yeah. I think the uh, existence of vehicles has really highlighted the, Plus one, like plus one, plus one counters existing on something that isn't currently a creature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've had lands in the past, but yeah, definitely the vehicles have brought that to a, a forefront. Um, so uh, if if an effect changes, uh, some effects can change a a super type, a subtype, a type, and it'll say it retains all its prior types. Uh, if so, well then it's going to gain that new type and keep all of its old ones. Um, there's a weird rule that says, uh, if it, uh, it becomes an artifact creature, um, it, it also retains all its previous types. Uh, it's yep. just a weird quirk in the rules from like old way days. Um, however, I don't think it, 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 say that they, they actually say it's still a land or it's still a whatever. Now. Uh, actually, Brian, uh, all vehicles have this template. We, um, let's say it's still a... No, let's say it becomes an artifact creature, period. Because they aren't taking away anything... Because artifact is its only other type. So all of them have the template. Yeah, well, well, they do. But what happens is what happened... It used to be like a, a, a Mishra's, what, Mishra's Factory. Mm-hmm. Specifically, like, this is an old rule dealing with Mishra's Factory because it's a land that has an ability that makes it an artifact creature. Um, it's still a land, but it just says it becomes an artifact creature, or it did. Um, and that's kind of why they put that in there, because they didn't want it to stop being a land, but they didn't want to change the wording on the card. So, so hmm. like, for, for vehicles, becoming an artifact creature doesn't do a whole lot, because it was already an artifact, and now it's an artifact creature. So it's it doesn't have to say, like, it's still a land, or it's still a, a anything like that. Right. You, you understand? All right, and we did while vehicles didn't exist. We did two whole episodes on types, uh, episodes eighty-eight and eighty-nine that were both recorded about two years ago. Does it seem like that long? Yeah, 
For that one, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I looked that up and I was just like, I was like, we just did this last year. Was, yeah, I'm always surprised when I look back and see, oh, we just did that. And I realized it was a long, long time ago. I, the last time I did that, I think I looked back and saw that, that we did a topic in like episode 50 something. <laughs> oh, my God. We're Jeez. old. Next month yeah. is five years. Yep. Five years is five years of DutchCast. Just for us, actually. DutchCast is older than five years. Yes. Uh, but for us on the, on the show, it'll be our, our five-year anniversary. Uh, <laughs> that's that's quite impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you think you think how many things in the judge program go five weeks? Um, <laughs> this is five years. Um, all yeah, right. Crazy. Um, so, uh, was there anything else we wanted to talk about about types before we moved on to the next thing? No, I love this next thing though, and Matt made the next Matt, thing, Matt made the fun next of it. Is the expansion symbol? What uh, the expansion symbol? The expansion symbol is the little symbol that most Magic cards have printed on the right hand side in the middle. It's actually just across from the type line, uh, and it no longer has an effect on gameplay. There used to be cards that cared about expansion symbols. Those cards have been errated. They don't care about expansion symbols anymore. Aww. Aww. You're no longer special. Uh, I really wish we would bring back caring about expansion symbols, but I don't care about the symbol itself. I just, I want cards that can destroy rares. Be like... like rare be gone from... Uh, yeah, like, exactly. From but like, unsaid. actual cards. Be like, you know, destroy target uncommon. Where's the rarity matters cycle, okay? Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So so yeah so expansion symbols are something that they added with uh, Exodus, uh, or or sorry no 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 they started they added the color uh, um, to indicate rarity with Exodus. So so back back in the old old days the core sets did not have expansion. Back in the old days there were core sets. Um, back in the old old days core sets didn't have expansion symbols. Uh, the first expansions Arabian Nights Antiquities they had just a a drawing, a picture, and all cards, regardless of rarity, had the same symbol. Uh, then, with Exodus, they started color coding the expansion symbols to indicate rarity. So, um, uh, gold was rare, silver was uncommon, and then black or white were uh, the common. And they then they've since added red, orange for mythic rarity, and uh, there was a, a set time spiral that had purple. Uh, purple expansion for like their time shifted. Uh, purple is a magic color. Yeah, and sixth edition was the first core set that started introducing uh, expansion symbols. So, um, so what's what? What are these crazy cards that that used to that used to care about expansion symbols? How do they how do they work? I think it was what city, city in the bottle. Yes, city in a bottle. Um, Golfian silex and apocalypse <laughs> chime. So, City in a Bottle, uh, which, uh, covering this, will cover the rest of them, so we don't need to cover the rest we of them. We don't need to cover Apocalypse, uh, John! So, uh, City in a Bottle said, in his original printing, uh, all cards... Uh, you know what? I'm going to paraphrase, because his original printing is terrible. Um, it basically said, destroy all cards from the Arabian Nights expansion, except for City in a Bottle. Um, and that while it's in play... You can't play cards from Arabian Nights. Now, what this meant was if you just happened to like the Arabian Nights mountains and play those in your mono red deck and somebody played City in a Bottle, it destroyed all your mountains. Which means I'm going to go walk over to the land box and get different lands. Yeah, exactly. And you're <laughs> going to ask the judge whether or not you could switch them out in the middle of the game. And this is a relevant question. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, there's a city in the bottle on a stack. A city in a bottle on the stack. It's really important. Um, fortunately, that's no longer the case. It has been errated uh, to say whenever a non-token permanent originally printed in the Arabian Nights expansion, other than city in a bottle, is on the battlefield, its controller sacrifices it. So that means that we no longer care whether or not it has that expansion symbol on it. We only care what set it was originally printed in, because that is easier to tell by looking. That was sarcasm. Yeah, I was like, oof, I don't know about that at all. (laughs) 
Uh, I remember when they made that change, they published with that Oracle text change a list of those cards. There's, It's in the CR right now where it has a list of all the cards that are originally printed in mm. those sets. And That's it's, terrible. And and we, we joke because, okay, so there's City in the Bottle, which is Arabian Nights. There's Golgothian Silex, which covers Antiquities. And then there's Apocalypse Chime that covers Homelands. Jeez. No one plays cards from Homelands. No, nobody plays cards from Homelands. Like, there was... <laughs> Minotaur uh, I, once, about... I once bought... I once intentionally bought a pack of Homelands. And the reason I bought a pack of Homelands is because I drafted a lore keeper in a conspiracy draft, and I had to add a pack to the draft. And I wanted one person, or each person at the table to get one card from that pack, and that's what you get out of a Homelands pack. You get eight <laughs> cards. <laughs> Oh, I jeez, Homelands is awful. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, a lot of this talk about expansion symbols actually kind of started us into this text box area uh, of the card. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. Uh, actually, a lot of it has, in general, just the text box, which is the next part of the card, is pretty much where all the stuff happens. Um, the lower half of the card is made up almost entirely of this text box. It's got two kinds of text. It has regular text, and it has italicized text. The regular text is the rules text and tells you what the card does. The italicized text is either reminder text or flavor text, or it might be an ability word, but it doesn't have rules relevance. So what happens with my textless cryptic command? Uh... Your text. Most likely, you'll call a judge because you can't remember what yeah, order the effects but, happen in. Right, but but all all cards from a from a rules perspective or from a tournament perspective, all all cards are considered to have their oracle text printed on the card based on their English name. A. So hmm. your textless cryptic command has words on it, and I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> yep, that's true. Um. In addition to words, some cards have watermarks on them. This started in uh, the New Phyrexia. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't the New Phyrexia. It was in that block, though. It was Scars of Mirrodin was the first set in that block. And in Scars of Mirrodin, there was the Mirren and Phyrexian factions, and there were cards in the set that had a Mirren or Phyrexian watermark. Then it would tell you which side of the war that card was on. And it was kind of a cool flavor story thing. Um, in the most recent set, uh, which at this point is the, the Kaladesh block, uh, the watermark is used uh, to show um, to show cards that, that are very relevant to the story. And you can actually go to the, the website that's listed on the bottom of the card and see things about that, that part of the story. Um, let's see here, but those don't have any rules meaning. So, so the watermark was never, never intended to be something that you have to look for during a game. It's, it's actually designed to be kind of not noticeable unless you're looking for it. Uh, the uh, text box may have an ability in it that changes other parts of the card. So it might change its color. Like Ghostfire says Ghostfire is colorless in its text box. Uh, it may have effects that change the power and toughness like Tarmogoyf changes the power uh, changes its own power and toughness with a characteristic defining ability then it might have an ability that affects its type um, but otherwise the the text box just has a bunch of rules text uh, Billy Willie was there anything you wanted to mention about the the text box before we move on to power and toughness no I don't think I think we've covered the text box pretty well uh, I think we can go on to that power and toughness box that's in the lower right-hand corner. Sure. Well, it's, it's funny. For as much as the text box does, there's not much to talk about with it. So, moving on to power and toughness, as you said, there's a box in the lower right-hand corner. Yep, uh, and there's typically uh, two numbers separated by a slash. Uh, and so, the first number is how much damage it'll do, and the second one is basically how much damage it'll take to destroy it. And, uh, some we talked a bit in the text box about Tarmogoyf, and so, so that's an example of one that has a variable power and toughness, and a star is represent is there to represent 
uh, both sides of that slash, uh, the star and then the slash and then star plus one. Uh, and there may other be other effects inside that text, the text box that will give you the idea, the information that you need in order to determine what that power and toughness is. Uh, so yeah, they, they, if it has like, if it has a variable power and toughness or, or what we call a characteristic defining ability that defines a power and toughness, it's going to be that in every zone, no matter what zone it's in. Uh, this is an important thing to remember with some cards that because there are cards that care about the power and toughness of cards in the graveyard or in your deck or, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, and, and that's different than effects like, say, a Knight of the Reliquary where it has an ability that would modify the power and toughness. Right. That, yeah. My, Knight of the Reliquary, while it's on the battlefield, gets plus one, plus one for land cards in graveyards. But uh, um I think just your graveyard, actually. My bad. I think it's your, but, it is your graveyard, yeah. But uh, uh, that only applies while it's on the battlefield, uh, because that card is broken enough already. So this power and toughness box only exists uh, on cards that are creatures or vehicles, I believe. Um, and vehicles are the interesting one because even though they have the power and toughness box, they're not creatures until they're crude. Uh, and this is a kind of a departure from templating in the past. So, so even if it has a little power and toughness box, you're going to have to check and make sure it's not, uh, not a vehicle. And I expect that a couple of years from now, we're going to have problems with that when we see people are using a vehicle in modern and other people are, you know, not realizing that that's not a creature and trying to build their attacks and blocks around it existing as a, as a, as a creature. Well, uh, I think, I think the other thing that's important too, is just how uh, vehicles interact with their power and toughness interacts when it comes to the layers. Uh, yes. Where, that's, where their timestamp is. Uh, yeah. The power and toughness with the vehicles, uh, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the way I believe that works is that, if they become a, a creature and their power and toughness is set uh, with the effect that makes them a creature, that their their power and toughness is then set. They they it's not whatever's printed. Is that correct? Yeah. Or the, I, I, do I have that backwards? The, no. The print. Yeah. The printed. The printed power and toughness on the card has the same uh, timestamp as when it came into play. Right. Yep. That makes I, sense. I don't even think it's like a continuous effect or anything like that. It's just what it is. It's not a continuous effect. Like considering what's going on in the layers is concerned, it's not even a characteristic defining ability. It's just what its power and toughness is while it's a creature. But yeah, no, it, um, we had just we had that one of the like I said, we were at the someone was talking about how we were at a judge conference and there's a presentation on layers and that, that was something that came up was you know what is the timestamp for this this vehicle? The vehicles seem to be occupied occupy an interesting space. And how they interact with the rules. Yeah, uh, vehicles. I remember when we were talking about it in the in the kind of Kaladesh release notes episodes. It, we were like, these vehicle things—they're weird because they don't work the way we expect magic cards to work. <laughs> well, um, it's very tournament experience, though. It is interesting just how people view vehicles in uh, in contrast to how we've been operating with all of the the creature lands. Because they're really they occupy the same space, but that's not how they've played. <laughs> so what about loyal our loyalty then? Uh, we're lo- we're up to one sixty seven. That's that's loyal. our loyalty. That's pretty. Our loyalty uh, so is the highest. What's your em- So what's your emblem then? Uh, I'll get back to you on that. All right. We we uh, you put a CJ token into play. <laughs> our, um, our, our emblem is emblem is. I will put an emblem put an emblem into play next turn. No text, just there's our emblem. <laughs> All right, so the loyalty uh, loyalty is a part of a card that exists on planeswalkers. They have a loyalty, a little box that uh, looks kind of like a shield, if I remember correctly, and they have a loyalty number printed in that bottom right corner where the power and toughness normally is for creatures. Uh, and that number, all that number means is. How many loyalty counters do I enter the battlefield with? That's that's the answer to that question. There, there was uh, something interesting when I was looking at the rules for this. 
it's actually like the the loyalty is actually relevant or or the game can see it uh when the cards aren't on the battlefield either that which, doesn't surprise me which because that leaves the vibe uses it but it leaves design space Yet. open for for being able to search for planeswalkers with loyalty amounts right. from your library or 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 any number of other things that care about loyalty. Um, yeah, like remove X loyalty, search for a planeswalker with loyalty equal to that number. Right. I thought it was really cool when I when I stumbled on it. I was just like, huh, I learned something new. And uh, I don't know when that was added. I don't know if that's always been true of planeswalkers. They it's been historically true. Uh, because planeswalkers are are uh, they're more stable now, but they're relatively recent. And when they first came out, whenever they would change the rules for planeswalkers, it was a good indication that there was a planeswalker that cared about that rule coming up in the next couple sets. Uh, so if that's if that was a recent change, then I look forward to what that means. More gatewatch. <laughs> um. So you, you say you say it was a relatively recent change. It was ten sets ago. What? No, I was I was saying if it was a relatively recent change, oh, I don't know when it was changed. Oh. I don't know when that, that happened. Yeah, okay. I was when, just I was like, planeswalkers have been around for ten sets. Oh, you mean or ten, when did ten blocks? Ten blocks, out? not sets. Blocks. Planeswalkers came out in Lorwyn. That was almost a decade ago. Actually, it was more than a decade ago now. Yeah, planeswalkers are more than a decade old. Uh which is kind of crazy. I remember the first ones. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, tr- I'm trying to remember time because I was like, oh, my daughter was born in Dissension block. Uh, Dissension uh, came out, so uh, <laughs> so uh, time tomorrow was ten years ago. Um, all yes. right. Okay, so <laughs> moving on. Uh, thing, other man. things that we care about with loyalty. Uh, anything, any activated ability that has a loyalty symbol is a loyalty ability and has a bunch of special rules. Now, why we care about this for this purpose is that when you activate a loyalty ability, you have to pay the cost, which is either adding or removing some number of counters. Uh, when you do that, it, you can only do it as a sorcery and it changes what that loyalty is when it's on the battlefield. So if something enters the battlefield with, say, three loyalty counters and you, you pay a cost of plus one loyalty, it now has four loyalty counters. And it, even though the number doesn't change in the bottom right hand corner, I'll pay the cost of zero loyalty. Yep. You can do that. Uh, let's see. Uh, I know Brian was really excited to talk about life and hand modifiers not, that seems something uh, he would like not really uh i don't <laughs> i don't think i i so i know what a vanguard card is but i don't know if i've ever seen one i've seen them on moto i i've seen them on moto and i've seen i've seen once i believe i've seen an oversized one that was meant to advertise oh, them oh yeah so so what vanguard cards were is they were cards that added that gave you an extra ability uh, in the game. They did something like maybe you could play two lands a turn or something like that. But they also came with uh, life modifiers and starting hand modifiers. So they might say like you can play two lands a turn, but your starting life is fifteen. Or you can draw uh, a, an extra card. I'm making these Vanguard cards up. Uh, you can draw an extra card per turn, but your your hand size starts at three or something like that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a pre-commander commander, really, is what it was. Is is there was a way for you to be like, I'm playing a a Momir Vig deck, or I'm playing a, a the Vraska deck. Or, I don't think Vraska was around, but you know what I mean. Um, and I it think, was uh, think, like characters from the leather the Weatherlight started out, so there was like a Karn, and there was a, a Captain Sisse and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had. They had these Vanguard cards, um, which uh, allowed you to to play the game in a different way. The Vanguard cards never took off. Now, what's interesting is on uh, Magic Online, the avatars you can get to display while you're playing are actually Vanguard cards. That was the original kind of avatar you could have on Magic Online because they thought it was going to be this huge thing. So if you go to your collection and you look at the avatars, they don't have any any effects in those boxes, but they're Vanguard cards. Nice. Interesting. 
All right. Uh, next up, uh, so the information below the text box. Yay, this is also stuff that doesn't have uh, uh, any game rule meaning, but has meaning kind of outside the game. It's got the illustrator credit, the, the copyright stuff, the legal text, the collector numbers, which are, are super useful. And now they've got like a little coding that tells you what set it's from, which I think they said it helps the machines do printing and collating. Uh, yeah, well, it's also going to be, I'm certain, going to be good for uh, magic stores in the future because it doesn't just say what set it's from. It also says what language is in it, whether or not it's foil and whether or not it's promo and, and all that stuff. I, I think another advancement we'll see, at least from the Grand Prix point of view, is helpful. it's helpful for the automated registration of limited pools yes. because it's easier to, easier to read. And exactly. uh, we were also speaking earlier about the importance of being able to know what the English name of a card is. Uh, being able to use the collector number is a great way to to find out what cards you're looking at was, if you're not sure. Which which Vegas was it? Was it Vegas 1 or Vegas 2 where they had uh, – I think it was the first Vegas. They had uh, a sealed event where it was both Ravnica blocks, all Japanese – and so people were building uh, sealed pools, or their, their, their sealed pools was six packs, uh, three from the original Ravnica, three from the new Ravnica, all in Japanese. And people were constantly, hey, what's this card do? What's this card do? And, you know, a set 12 years ago, you don't remember what, you don't necessarily can tell by the art. So those collector numbers came in real handy uh, for figuring out what the card names were. Uh, shocker! A Japanese guy won that uh, that event. Yeah, I think I think that was the first Vegas because I think I was there with you. <laughs> all right, so we we we've talked about all the parts of the cards. There are some cards that have more than one part, like two arts and two uh, uh, names and two casting costs. Those are split cards. Um, they're so fancy. They are fancy. So uh, a split card I'm is so fancy. if you take if you take a magic if you take a normal magic card and you rotate it a hundred uh, ninety degrees, uh, you will have two little cards side by side. They're very adorable. Yeah, if you if you do the one hundred eighty, that's not a split card. Right. That's that's flip cards, which we're not going to talk about them because nobody plays flip cards, and by nobody I mean a very small number. Don't send us letters. Um. So uh, if you if you want to name a split card, uh, uh, or if you're gonna if you're gonna cast a split card, okay. So it's got two names anywhere but on the stack, and so when you cast a spell, you're gonna say I am casting breaking or I am casting entering. There's a split called card breaking entering. Um, so it's got you're gonna pay the the mana cost for the appropriate half. Um, and then uh, uh, it's going to resolve. That half is going to resolve, and it has the converted mana cost equal to the half that you cast. Now, if I if I want to name a split card, well, actually, we'll, we'll just talk into the examples here because that's probably the easiest way to understand how split cards work. Um, uh, at a high level, the game asks asks a question about you know, does this card have a have this quality? Does it have this converted mana cost? Does it have this color? And it's going to get back either a yes or no. And it looks at both halves to determine if the answer is yes or no. Or rather, if the, if the answer is yes for either half, it's going to return back a yes. So, um, do we want to run through some examples? Sure. Uh, I think Dark Confidence is a good one. And so, uh, for breaking and entering, uh, you actually get hit for both sides of the card. So you take eight. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's it's important to distinguish the reason you take eight in total is because you're taking you're taking basically losing life twice. Yeah, I'm see, it sees both both halves and it's like all right, well you're gonna lose for this half and you're gonna lose for that half. So, so breaking yeah. breaking costs two or has a converted mana cost of two. Entering has a converted mana cost of six. And when you flip it over with Dark Confidant, Dark Confidant says you lose life equal to the converted mana cost. Well, you get back two answers. Two and six, so you are going to lose two life and six life, total of eight. Another yeah. card, and another card that you would often flip cards for is counterbalance. And this question actually comes up quite a lot in Legacy. Um, so, with counterbalance, you you know if I if I flip over breaking and entering with counterbalance, what can I counter? Well, I see a card that 
has CMC two, <coughs> and I also see a card that has CMC six. Right, and so counterbalance says I can counter a card with a matching converted mana cost. So I can counter either two converted mana cost cards or six converted mana cost cards, but I cannot counter eight converted mana cost cards. Can I do four? Can I just average them together? The average? No, but that would be amazing. <laughs> Uh, some other some other similar things. Uh, if I cast Inquisition of Kozilek, uh, target player reveals his hand, choose a non-land card from it with converted mana cost three or less. Uh, I can choose breaking and entering because it has a converted mana cost of two and six, so two is definitely less than less than three. Um, I can also, if I name Persecute, which has you has me name a color and then you discard cards equal to that color, I can name Blue because. Uh, breaking and entering, one half is blue and one half is not. You can't really take half the split card out of your hand. Right. Well, you can, but then you probably would get disqualified for aggressive behavior. So another way that you're... It seems like a lot of this is just when cards are being revealed for some effect. So uh, you also have Cascade. And so if uh, I cast a Violent Outburst, which has a uh, CMC of three... When I hit Breaking and Entering, it sees that I have a CMC of two, but I'm actually able to cast uh, either half. The thing is, I can't fuse it because it's not coming from my hand, though. Right. Fusing, fusing is only cast from when you cast from your hand. Cascadia ain't doing that. Uh, some other neat things. Uh, flashback. Uh, if your double, double face cards, if your uh, split card somehow gains flashback, uh, you got to pay for the half. You're paying for the half that you're casting. Right, so because well you 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 don't choose or you don't determine the cost until later on in the casting process. Even though you're playing it with flashback, that cost isn't determined until later. Yeah, it gets locked in when you when you choose the half that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, other neat thing, uh, Isochron Scepter. Uh, so uh, Isochron Scepter lets you imprint an instant with converted mana cost two or less. Uh, which means you can imprint a split card that has one half, where one half of it meets the criteria for Isochron Scepter, the other half doesn't, uh, such as Far Away. Uh, and then when you cast the card with Isochron Scepter's ability, uh, well, you get to pick either half. Mm-hmm. Still not coming. Still not coming from your hand, though. Still right. So you still hand. can't fuse it. Still can't. All right. Uh, what's uh, uh, Meddling Mage's deal? Meddling Mage allows you to name Far or Away in the case of Far and Away, but it does not allow you to name both. However, if you choose one of the two, Far or Away, your opponent can't cast the fused spell Far and Away. So, they can cast Away if you chose Far, but they can't cast Far and Away. Yeah, so just for the... the people who might not be familiar, Meddling Mage, uh, when it enters the battlefield, you name a non-land card, and then you can't cast, or the named card can't be cast. So uh, that that would be why, um, you know, with Far and Away, if I name Far, I can't cast Far, I can't cast Far and Away, but I can cast Away. That all seems reasonable. Yeah. And then uh, Britain in a Jar is the other one that you'll see sometimes where people will try to cast split cards, and uh, it can cast either half if if one side of the split card matches uh, matches the number of counters on Britain in a Jar. And I think we would be uh, falling short of our duty if we didn't uh, reference the expertise cycles that came out with Aether Revolt, because that one lets you cast... Uh, with a card with a converted mana cost less than that card. Uh, and so that's also plays quite well with the split cards. And you can, and if you're playing, since you're casting it from your hand, you can fuse those cards. Oof. Brutal. Yes. So you can, uh, cast your carry Zev's expertise that costs three mana and get to cast back and call fused. All right, so now is the awkward part of the show where we try and figure out how to wrap things up without CJ doing it for us. I can give it a shot. Okay, go for it. All right, so first of all, this is the part of the show where we give our guests the opportunity to opportunity to plug anything 
Uh, Billy Willie, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, any projects you're working on that you that are that are public things you want people to know about or anything like that? So uh, project wise, the only thing I really do is not super public, but I do help uh, BPRO with Exemplar, and we are working our way through the most recent wave under his uh, his guidance. And uh, other than that, just uh, come see me at a GP or an SCG Open event. I'll, yeah, I'll be there. Head judging one, aren't you? I was just announced as the uh, head judge for the tour stop in Atlanta, coming up later this year. So hot, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully, this time the Infinite Energy Center will uh, contain us. Last are, time they, a- they, are they doing it in the Infinite Energy Center? I think. Uh, for the Invitational, they did it in the Georgia World Congress Center. They might be doing opens there now. I'm pretty sure I'm back in the Infinite Energy Center. Oh, that sucks. So uh, come on out. We might uh, t- you know, turn the lights out. Where's the Infinite Energy Center in relation it, to the Congress Center? It's The Congress Center is in downtown Atlanta. Yeah. The Infinite Energy Center is in Duluth, which is about uh, probably 20 miles northeast of okay. Atlanta. Oh, the Infinite Energy. Okay, I just always called the, the Duluth because it's not really Atlanta. It's not really Atlanta, no. And it's it, the problem is I'm not really in Atlanta either, but I'm just the other direction, not really in Atlanta. So it's really far from me. <laughs> yeah, uh, according to the uh, Judge Apps page that you can apply on, it is the Infinite Energy Center. Well, darn. <laughs> okay. Such excite. <laughs> I'm I'm now less excited to be working this event. Oh. 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 Anyway, so... Um, other than that, uh, Billy Willie, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. You've been totally awesome. Uh, if you are listening to JudgeCast and you got this far and it's one of your first times listening, please subscribe to JudgeCast wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes or wherever that happens to be. Yeah, you can find us. Uh, yes, and rate us. Please rate us. Uh, give us good reviews. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the best reviews. Slash JudgeCast. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, at JudgeCast, uh, and you can email us at uh, JudgeCast at gmail.com. Um, you can email us your questions. Uh, we don't answer all questions on the air, but we do our best to answer all questions, whether they are on the air or in email. So please email us your questions. Um, other than that, did uh, anybody have anything else they wanted to add? I do not. All no, right. I'm well, in that case i'm jess dunks and i keep it fair oh i'm very full and i keep it fun and i'm billy Lee and i keep it great <laughs> <laughs>